This is the World of Multi-Employer Benefit Funds podcast with your hosts, Tom Shanklin and Tracy Doherty Shanklin, Managing Partners at CSU Investment Partners. If you're interested in labor and union benefit funds, well, you've landed in the right place. We are a go-to source for all things union benefit fund related, and we are going to bring you interviews with key decision makers and fund professionals that guide these plans. They'll share their insights, experience, unique perspectives, all of the latest developments and tips to unlock the mysteries of multi-employer benefit funds. Time is short, so let's get started. Please welcome Tom and Tracy. We are delighted to have Ron Sirs with us today. Ron is the CEO and CIO of GlidePath Wealth Management and president of PPC Incorporated and its Target Date Solutions subsidiary. He serves on the board of the Investment Management Consultant Association and on several advisory committees of the Chartered Financial Analyst Institute. Tom has known Ron for over 20 years and has always respected and admired his thoughtful, in-depth analysis of the investment environment. Some of his research and concepts have been published in numerous professional journals, and he has authored and co-authored several books on target date funds. We have invited him here today to discuss his views on target date funds, an essential component of the defined contribution pension plans. Ron will discuss some very serious concerns he has about the structure of target date portfolios and the inherent risk it represents to participants approaching or entering retirement. He will talk about a different approach to the asset allocation issue that he thinks would be more prudent and we think particularly relevant to participants in union-sponsored defined contribution plans. We are hoping that his comments will stimulate some discussion on target date portfolio construction and how we measure risk in these accounts. Welcome, Ron, to the Multi-Employer Benefit Funds Podcast. The world of Multi-Employer Benefit Funds Podcast. Unlocking the mysteries of Multi-Employer Benefit Funds. We'd like to start all of our interviews by asking you to tell us a little bit about your career path and ultimately how you ended up in your current position. Sure. Well, Tracy, you already sort of said some of my career path, but I started with uh, Northrop when I earned my master's in applied mathematics and learned something that many engineers probably learned. And that is I was working on a project and that got completed. And then I was told to roam around the halls and find another project or I wouldn't have a job anymore. So, so much for job security in that kind of environment. So I, I started uh, looking around for other opportunities and, and found an opportunity with, in the day, the largest pension consulting firm in the country, A.G. Becker. And I joined them primarily as, as a computer programmer. But I was at my desk for about a week, and my boss walked in and asked me if I wanted to raise. So it was, it was already a great place. <laughs> and I said, what do I need to do? And he said, go to school. So the raise basically was a, a full tuition at the University of Chicago. So I got my second master's at the University of Chicago, an MBA in finance. And once I had that, I moved out of uh, writing code to uh, consulting. So I became the senior vice president for investment policy studies at AG Becker. Then uh, Becker was sold to SEI, as you said, and then I left and started a firm with two partners. And then in 1992 and since, I've been just doing stuff I enjoy. So I've been a serial entrepreneur doing a whole variety of pack of stuff. And in 2006, friends were calling and saying, there's this thing coming up that 
It's going to be huge, and you need to get on it. It's called target date funds. So I did. Can you give us a quick definition of target date funds and then glide path? I guess I assumed everybody on the call would know because target date funds have become such a big deal. So they they started out at a few billion dollars, and then the Pension Protection Act of 2006 identified them as being a qualified default investment alternative. And over the last 12 years, they've grown to more than $2 trillion. So what they do basically is they take a fair amount of risk for young people. And in fact, most of the target age funds are north of 80% in equities for people who are uh, you know, 20, 30 years old. And then they gradually decrease risk through time. And that pattern of moving from high risk to lower risk is called a glide path. And we're going to get into this, but you would think that a glide path would land safely. And most target date funds are, are similar, roughly 80, 90% in equities for young people. But there's a whole range of equity allocations at the target date, ranging from mine as low as 15% in equities to another provider I won't mention is as high as 70% in equities at the target date. So what's going on is significant disagreement about how much risk to take for people who are about to retire. And interestingly enough, early on in target date funds, the common practice was for the participant to withdraw. So it didn't really matter much what you did after the, after the retirement date because most people took their money out. But that's changing. Uh, and especially union plans are encouraging the participants to stay in the plan. And the press is definitely picking up on what would be called a decumulation. Uh, path. Basically, how do you invest for people in retirement? Uh, there's 75 million baby boomers now who are you know, either about to retire or in retirement. And there's been a significant breakthrough in what you do in the decumulation phase. So I, I, I want to come back to this. I'm saying the stage for now's, now's the, the overview. There's a glide path, big disagreement as to how much risk to take at the target date, a Brand new innovation, uh, three years new, about how to invest for people in retirement. So I created my own glide path. Needed to think about, and I think all the creators of target date funds need to think about this, what should the objective be? And I came up with this really profound objective, and listeners to this call should write this down because it's, it's really important. My objective for my target date fund is do not lose the participants' money. So that might sound like it's uh, you know pie in the sky, but you can, in fact, design asset allocations that will protect people when they need the most protection. Uh, so in terms of my target date fund design, I, I don't want to lose participants' money. So what I want to do is keep them well diversified, but start to protect when that diversified portfolio might lose money. So my analysis has shown that if you stay in that well-diversified portfolio for 15 years or more, really good chance you won't lose money. So I don't move to defend until 15 years from the target date. And then what I do when I do defend is I use a Nobel Prize winning theory. Um, Dr. William F. Sharp was awarded the Nobel in 1990 for what's called the capital market line. 
And what that Kepler market line basically shows is that the graphic really says it's better than I have to be able to. But when you move to defend, you can move to lower risk assets like bonds. In the graphic, they would move you down the frontier. And that's basically what all the other target date funds do. So as they get closer to the target date, they move to bonds, which, by the way, long-term bonds are pretty risky today. So that's not particularly a good way to control risk, but it's what everybody is doing. I don't do that. Uh, the capital market line won the Nobel Prize for showing that you're best off controlling risk by moving to cash. And listeners on this call are going to say, I don't get paid for running cash, so I'm not going to do that. Um, but it's, it's, it's not the idea of getting paid for something anybody can do. It's the idea of, of controlling risk in a way that most people can't. So when you move to control, you keep this well-diversified portfolio and you take some of it and put it into a safe asset. My safe asset is treasury bills and treasury inflation protections for securities tips. And then the rule for helping me decide on how to move along that line is basically liability-driven investing. So I estimate the worst-case loss from today to the target date and move enough aside into the safe assets such that if that loss were to occur, the fairly stable return on the reserve asset will, will make you whole. Nobody is doing that. And all, all I'll say is there's that is financial engineering. Ron, I think we've been, uh, become victims of groupthink, if you will, uh, perhaps to our disadvantage here. And efforts like this, I mean, these are why we, we look to have these podcasts is hope to educate people and let them know what other opportunities are out there and perhaps a different way of thinking about things. But, you know, th there is uh, also this concept of managing to and managing through. And if you could talk about that in terms of the focus of the portfolio over time, once you get to the target date and maybe you know, where is that glide path before and then after the, the target date, typically and in your situation? Right. So the terms to and through were coined at the joint hearings in 2009. And the fund companies uh, showed up to those hearings and justified their high risk at the target date by saying that that, that target date is a speed bump. We're managing through that date through to death. So we're target death funds. And that's why we take high risk because people are going to live longer and the medicine they need for not saving enough is, is a lot of risk. Some of the, some of the fund companies said, uh, well, no, we're not. We're, we're, we're expecting people to take their money out. So uh, we really are trying to end at the target date. And the implication from that was that the two funds are lower risk at the target date than the through funds. That's simply not true. So I can... So the definition of two has come to be reaches the lowest equity allocation at the target date. The definition of through is reaching the lowest equity allocation sometime beyond the target date in retirement. So why is this strategy appropriately suited for unions? Well, I, I have a large union plan as a client, and, and, and I, I, I know they, they like the design of my glide path. Very safe at the target date. And I haven't gotten into the... Um, the breakthrough in, in the retirement glide path. Um, but I think union plans should be concerned about the next correction and using glide paths that will maybe not harm the participants nearly as much. And I've, I'm in a group of maybe three or four target date funds that defend reasonably well at the target date. 
the other roughly 50 target date funds are, I'm going to say it, they're all like Vanguard. Somehow Vanguard has become the leader in target date funds. They become the standard. They actually have about 40% of the $2 trillion in target date funds. So they're definitely the, the, the biggest target date fund in, in the world. But that doesn't make them right. In fact, I, I think they're, they're flat out wrong. But uh, that is what it is. So a handful of target date funds do defend. They very rarely get considered in target date fund searches because and I've written about this. By the way, I, I have a library. It's on my uh, target date fund, target date solutions website with a whole bunch of articles for people who are interested. And, and then Tracy mentioned the two books. I'd be happy to uh, send those books. They're, they're for sale. I'll send them for free to people on the podcast who would like to see them. But I've lived this firsthand now for a decade. Advisors have come to believe that they expose themselves to both fiduciary and business risk if they don't use Vanguard, Fidelity, or T. Rowe. And that is a breach of the duty of care. So these safer target date funds, more prudent target date funds, as near as I can tell, very rarely get considered in manager searches for target date funds. So the belief that it gives you fiduciary protection is just flat out wrong. If you're not really doing your due diligence and seeking the best, and in particular the best for participants, then you are breaching your duty of care. Now, I want to tell you about two surveys. Uh, now, I've told you my belief that the target date fund should be safe at the target date. But um, Manufacturers uh, Life did a survey of beneficiaries two years ago now. And among the questions that they asked the beneficiaries was, what would you prefer, safety or growth, in your investment portfolio? More than 85% of the people in their 60s said safety. Give me safety. I want to be protected. A much lower percentage than that, uh, 85% roughly of the young people said, I want growth. So neither one of those is a surprise, but uh, what it does is it confirms that if you were to ask the beneficiaries what they want, they would tell you they want to be safe. Then PIMCO did a study. Uh, they repeat the study every year. So the most recent study is uh, from 2018. And the survey is of advisors. And they asked the advisors, what would be the maximum loss you would expose your clients to at age 65? And the answer was 10%. Now, I can tell you categorically that anyone who looks seriously at a 55% equity allocation with a balance of long-term bonds should figure out that there's there's much more than 10% loss exposure in that, in that allocation. Um, by the way, when they asked the consultants what loss exposure they would accept for a young person, say in their 20s or 30s, the answer was 40%. So surveys confirm that beneficiaries and advisors want safety at the target date. But the advisors go ahead and use target date funds that don't provide that safety. So there's just a total disconnect there. What are your concerns about traditional target date funds? Target date funds are way too risky currently at the target date. They are 55% in equities, and that's not the whole problem. Most of the balance uh, of the portfolio is in long-term bonds. So I view it that roughly 80 90% of the portfolio is risky. That's more risky than target date funds were in 2008. Ron, I think we also have a, a much greater number of participants in these plans today than we did back in 2008. Yeah, target date funds now are $2 trillion. So there are many more participants in it. 
than they were in 2008. In 2008, it was it was only uh, 200 billion dollars, so you know, relatively just just beginning. So many more people will be affected. The uh, baby boomers have now definitely moved squarely into that risk zone, and the risk zone is the five to ten years before and after retirement. So we've we've got 75 million people who essentially have right now their accounts are pretty much as high as they're going to be in their life. And losing a substantial portion of that is, well, painful for, for them, of course, but I think could very well spill over into society because we're the U.S. does take care of its elderly, but I don't know if there's a limit to how far they can go. You seem to be ringing the alarm bell on the market. Yeah, let, let me tell you one of the articles. I, I wrote this article and put it on Seeking Alpha. Got 50,000, 50,000 reads. The most I've ever gotten. I, I, I published a lot in Seeking Alpha. And it's about the world's debt problem. And I'm going to throw out a sensational figure for you. And uh, you should challenge me on the figure. If you had to guess what the per capita world debt is, what each individual in the world owes, what would you guess that number to be? It's $200,000. And there's a whole lot written about why this whole debt thing can't go on forever. This concept called modern monetary theory is sort of what's driving the continuation of this crazy market. And modern monetary theory says you can borrow as much as you want if you're the government. It's good. Good to borrow. Just keep doing it. Well, thoughtful economists think it's, it's voodoo economics and, and won't last forever. But part of that seems to be working, but it's, it's going to blow up. So something will cause the next correction, market recession, whatever. I think it's likely to be the debt, but certainly it could be other things like the trade war with China could cause serious repercussions. Certainly any nuclear disaster could. So something will happen. And to put your head in the sand and say, you know, let's just keep investing in the U.S. because, you know, it's just a great country and great market and all will be well. Many people are saying that. Uh, I, I don't think it's realistic. It just uh, it can't happen. So... When I think most people would agree that we, we can't enjoy these great markets forever. Uh, but where there's big disagreement is, well, how bad will the correction be and how long will it last? And nobody knows. But I do think the current situation where interest rates are being manipulated, $13 trillion of global debt are priced to provide negative yields. And that's just crazy. Government debt, where you know for every dollar you put in, you're going to get less than a dollar back. Something's not right with this picture. So I, I think we're in serious trouble. And you know, every day I look at the market, it's going up again. I watch the news and everything is good. And I can sleep at night. Something something will break. And then I think you know, Warren Buffett's comment about when the tide goes out, we see who's swimming naked will come to prevail. Really, it's very important for multi-employer plan trustees to think about looking at their target date funds as well. And those that have defined contribution plans probably have something like a target date in there as an option Yes, that I know firsthand that these trustees spend a lot of time educating themselves on the various investment um, strategies that are brought before the board. And I think maybe the problem that the target date funds is that they 
don't spend as much time there because they really have relied on the professionals, the vanguards, the fidelities, the T-Rows, where they're, they're basically saying, okay, you guys have created these and we trust that. Yes. It sounds like there is a need for them to not take that at face value and to look more deeply. So that's some advice that I'm taking away from this, but do you have any other advice that you would put forth to, to union trustees, plan sponsors, their professionals, their investment professionals? So I, I would say to plan sponsors, open your eyes, realize that the current situation is, 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 is dangerous, uh, not just for you as fiduciaries, but for your beneficiaries. And the other thing I've been doing lately is trying to reach out to the beneficiaries as, as best I can with articles and so on. But the beneficiaries really should try to learn what exposure they're going to have when they're about to retire. And I don't think any, many do because no, most of the money there is by default. And I think they, there's a lot of trust built into relying on your employer to do the right thing for you. But in this situation, that doesn't work. So you really should learn what the risk exposure is going to be for you at the target date. And if it's 55% or anywhere near there, get out. And I know that's sort of something defaulted people don't want to do. They don't want to be on their own, but they really should do it to protect themselves. Yeah, I think it raises an issue, Ron, that, uh, I mean, going back 20, 25 years, I know a lot of the funds I was consulting to, they had a what was called an annuity plan at the time, and that was that was trustee-directed. And during that time period, a lot of them converted those to participant-directed DC plans, which are analogous to the 401ks. And uh, it was done so to escape the fiduciary responsibility. And basically, you know, a lot of due diligence went into selecting the provider and the funds and the default fund and everything else. Uh, and, and then in many cases, they, they sort of said, okay, we're done with this. Uh, it's all in your hands now. But, you know, the constant message that, um, you know, I was certainly telling people was that, look, it's not done. You have the, the burden of the education. You have to monitor these plans. There, there, we had, oh, we have the lawsuits today about the excessive fees in some of these programs, you know, and, and this is sort of coincident with the whole OCIO concept that's going on now, where a lot of the trustees on the D, on the DB side are also turning over the responsibilities, and ultimately the buck stops with the trustee, and um, you know, no matter which of their benefit funds we're talking about, they are the ultimate authority in terms of making sure things are operating correctly and are properly positioned and so forth. So I, I think it's just a wake-up call on several levels that that trustees need to double down on their efforts in terms of monitoring these plans and asking the hard questions of their consultants and their money managers and just making sure it's uh, it's all heading in the right direction and, and they're prepared for the future because we are in a changing environment and we know we have a lot of issues there. But uh, Ron, I think it's been a great, great session. Uh, I think we covered a lot of ground and, and hopefully we, we have raised a few eyebrows around the world and can get a little more dialogue on this as we go forward. And that's it for this week's episode of the World of Multi-Employer Benefit Funds podcast. We would love to hear from you. And if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, head over to www.sisuinvestmentpartners.com and let us know. Tom and Tracy, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to next time. For even more information and resources, head over now to www.sisuinvestmentpartners.com and get involved.